0: Welcome to the New to Jesus podcast, where we find foundational truths to help you take your first steps in your walk with Christ. Hey, this is Dan Bergman. Welcome back to the New to Jesus podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at John chapter 7. So to kind of refresh, Jesus is in Galilee. Back in John chapter 5, about a year ago, at possibly the Feast of Tabernacles... The Judean Jewish religious crowd plotted to kill Jesus for healing an impotent man on the Sabbath. Remember the guy that couldn't walk. The feast has come again, and the Jewish men are to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. This is kind of the context in which we find in John 7. Verse 1 says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, again, this is not all of the Jewish people. This is specifically the religious leaders. Everybody was Jewish, for the most part, in Israel in that day, especially those that followed Jesus, the multitudes that went after him, those that followed him, those that did that did not, and then also the Jewish religious leaders. But specifically here, the ones that are seeking to kill him, it's not all of the Jewish people. It's specifically the religious leaders from Judea. In verse 2, it says, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, it's interesting. The New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, is Jewish in its original context. And those that wrote the New Testament wrote it in Greek, which was the main spoken language of Israel in that day, the language of commerce. But it was written with kind of like a Hebrew Greek, a Jewish Greek There's a Hebrew expression, al-yad, which literally means on hand. And that's where the idea comes from when you say, I don't have something on hand. I don't have it at hand. It means near. So now in verse 2, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. The Feast of Tabernacles is the 15th day of the seventh month, a seven-day feast beginning with a Sabbath and having a Sabbath day on day eight as well. It was a feast of ingathering as talked about in Leviticus 23:39 also known as the feast of tabernacles or booths Leviticus 23:34 In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 2 it's referred to as the feast so the feast of tabernacles also known as Sukkot the feast of booths Asuka is a booth or a tent or a tabernacle. Part of this feast's celebration was to dwell in tents or tabernacles. This is one of three pilgrimage feasts in which all males were required to go to Jerusalem. These feasts are Passover, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost in the New Testament, and the Feast of Tabernacles. To celebrate this festival, God commanded the Israelites to dwell in booths for seven days. This is in Leviticus 23, verses 41 through 43. These temporary structures, not completely closed to the elements, reminded the inhabitants that God is the only true source of security and peace. These booths are called sukkahs, or sukkot in Hebrew. There were also four species of branches... Four different kinds of plants, basically, that were waved before the Lord as the people rejoice in God's goodness in Leviticus 23 and verse 40. Now, I don't want you to be lost here in this historical significance, but it helps us to understand what's going on. The feast embraced four features, four different main themes of the Feast of Tabernacles. Number one was historical. It commemorates God's deliverance of his people from Egypt in their 40 years of wilderness wandering when they dwelt in tents and tabernacles. Secondly, an agricultural theme, a Thanksgiving festival for the completion of the harvest. Number three, a sacrificial theme as an offering of a sacrifice to God, Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17. And then lastly, fourthly, it had a prophetic theme about the future promises of God namely God dwelling with man. In verse three, it says, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Wow, this is an amazing truth. His brethren there literally means his brethren, his brothers, his brothers and sisters, his family. It says according to these verses that his brethren did not yet accept the spiritual ministry of the Messiah. They wanted a king slash deliverer. They wanted somebody to physically deliver them from Roman oppression. And verse 4 shows their motives in wanting him to go to the feast. They wanted him to show himself to the world, to start this revolution. Verse six, Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come. Now, if you remember, we talked about this in John chapter two, where Jesus told his mother Mary that his time was not yet come. And that the idea of his time has specifically to do with the time of his death, it was not God's timing yet for Jesus to go to the cross. My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. So he was going to wait. He was not going to go up just yet, and he suggests to them to go up without him. When he had said these words unto them, verse 9, he abode still in Galilee. See, Jesus stays behind for a little bit. Because of his mission... He has his purpose and his timing. His brethren did not have that weight on their shoulders or that mission. They could freely go as they please and enjoy the feast. But then it says in verse 10, But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So he waited a bit after they had gone, and then he went up without them. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him for some said he is a good man others said nay but he deceiveth the people so there was this kind of confusion and argumentation among the people about who jesus was some saying that he's a good guy others saying that he is wicked and deceitful and he's deceiving the people and leading them astray and this is no different than the day in which we live in there are those that would say that jesus was a good man or a good teacher. Then there's others that say that Christians are among the most deceitful people in the entire world and that they would mock Jesus and say that he was not who he claimed to be. I had an experience when I was in college in Florida going out into the streets of an area known as Seville Square and we would talk to people about Jesus. We would give the gospel to people that were passing by, start conversations with different people that we met and I ended up encountering an older Jewish couple, specifically the husband, and he was arguing with me, saying that Jesus never wanted to start a new religion, and that Jesus would be appalled by those who follow him today. Now, I partially agreed with his sentiment about religion, and I tried to get him to understand that Jesus was not about starting a new, quote unquote, religion but he was fulfilling the scriptures of the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And that he was promoting the idea of having a relationship with the creator through a trust in him. But people even today have that same kind of idea that Jesus isn't who he said he was. He's not who the New Testament says he is. And they start saying all these different things against him. And others say, well, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. But the Bible actually teaches that he is more than that. The Bible teaches that he is God, he is God in a human body. And then it says in verse 13 howbeit, even though there was this argument going on among the people about Jesus, verse 13 says, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, those that were speaking, those that were arguing, those that were going back and forth, they were all Jewish. I want to get this point across. They're all Jewish. Who are they afraid of? Not the average everyday Israelite. They are afraid of the religious rulers. That's what it's talking about here when it says fear of the Jews, fear of the religious rulers. Now, Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare, a trap. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with people's opinions of me. We can become anxious and afraid and fearful and worried and stressed out about what other people think about us. According to the Bible, that's a trap. It's a trap to get you ensnared So that you don't do what you should. What we should do, rather than fearing people, is trusting in God. So they were afraid to speak openly of Jesus. Don't be afraid to speak openly of Jesus. Don't be afraid of people, what they think, what they say, or what they're going to do. Trust in the Lord. Now in verse 14, it says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. He's there at the temple in Jerusalem, teaching. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? How does this man know doctrine and intricate things in the teachings of the Hebrew Bible? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus never sinned. He never did anything unrighteous. And his teaching and authority is not from the traditions and doctrines of men, but from God. then Jesus says in verse 19, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? Jesus is getting to their heart. You see, they have this feeling or understanding or belief that they're doing everything right. But what Jesus tells them is absolutely the truth. Nobody, nobody can keep the law perfectly. The only one who ever did was Jesus himself. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the law was given as our teacher, our schoolmaster, to show us that we needed Christ. He says, why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, thou hast the devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? So they're starting to confront Jesus directly, claiming that he was demon-possessed because he was saying these things. Who's who's going about to kill you? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. That's Leviticus 12. Verse number three. So Moses wasn't the one that was given the covenant of circumcision, but Abraham, those that were before Moses, Moses' ancestors. Verse 23, if any man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken. Are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? This is a reference to John 5, verses 8 and 9. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath day. And the religious leadership was seeking to kill Jesus because they were claiming that this was breaking the Sabbath. If you want to know more about this thought, go back to our previous episodes, specifically the one where I talk about the Sabbath according to Jesus. Verse number 24, Jesus says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly. And they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is very Christ, Messiah, Mashiach, the one who would be anointed of God to deliver Israel from their sins? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. We know where this guy is from, from Galilee. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. None can hinder God's working through our circumstances. Nothing happens to us without his allowing it. Trust the Lord. Trust his timing. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me and where I am, Thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, among the nations, to teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? This speaks of Jesus' death and his ascension unto the Father. Now, there is an amazing parallel with some of the things that Jesus is about to say and the way that the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated. And these have to do with the ideas of light and water. In verse 37, it says, In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There was a ceremony that had to do with pouring water as an offering from the pool of Siloam. This was an intricate part of that last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus says, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And then in verse 39, it says, "But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified." This relates well to John six forty four and John twelve thirty two. Those who came to Jesus in John six were drawn by the Father. Jesus said in John twelve that after his death he would draw all men to himself. This is done through the Holy Spirit, convincing the world of sin. righteousness and judgment. When did the Holy Spirit come? Only after the death, burial, and resurrection, and glorification, meaning ascension, when Jesus ascended into heaven of Jesus. Verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth that this is the prophet. There's a prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy, where God tells Moses and the people, that there is going to be a prophet that comes later that is like Moses. And that prophet, you will be required to obey the things that he says. This is fulfilled in no other than Jesus. Others said that this is the Christ, but some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh from the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Micah 5, 2. See, they didn't realize Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, never a man spake like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? This is interesting. Side note, many of the Pharisees actually did. This is recorded for us in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, as well as John 12, verse 42. Many of the chief rulers and priests, as well as Nicodemus, the one that we talked about in John 3, they're all Pharisees who trusted Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 49, But this people, who knoweth not the law, are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, which is he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. You see, so Nicodemus here, he's stepping to the plate for Jesus. And the people are ridiculing him. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But he came to Jerusalem directly from Galilee. And there's actually a prophecy in Isaiah that talks about the light coming and shining upon the darkness in the region of Galilee. This is a prophecy about the Messiah coming to Galilee. Then in verse 53, it says, And every man went into his own house. Amazing interaction and teaching from Jesus in this chapter. When we pick it up in the next episode, we'll be looking at John chapter 8. Don't miss it. It's going to be an amazing study. Thank you so much for listening to the New to Jesus podcast. You can go to our website, newtojesus.com. That's new, the number two, jesus.com. If you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at danielbergman99. And if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that helps us to get in front of more people to help them take their first steps as new believers in Jesus.